the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. 62 CP, Bayonet Point, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This is something that you and I need to do. This is not something God is going to do for us. This takes human responsibility. Too often people approach their their problems or lack of maturity and they just say, well, I'll I'll pray about it. And my response if I'm counseling to them is to say, all right, after you pray about it, what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to pray about it. Well, what is that going to do? Today on Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve Kreloff is wrapping up a three-part message on the sixth beatitude, which says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. It's been great to have you along today. As we will soon see, having a pure heart begins with prayer, but it certainly does not end there. Let's look at some of the steps to a pure heart. Here is Pastor Steve. You know where you see this so so graphically? Let's look at Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is about the Word of God and the psalmist who longed for the word in his life. Now, in in all fairness, we are not positive that David wrote Psalm 119. It's very possible he wrote it. But even if David is not the author, certainly it was authored by someone who had a pure, regenerated heart, just like David. I want to want you to follow me, and and there's there's really a point to this. Psalm 119, beginning of verse 1, notice this. He says, how blessed are those whose, whose way is blameless, who walk in the law, law of the Lord. How blessed are those who observe his testimonies, who seek him with all of their heart. So here's a man who seeks God with all of his heart. Verse 5, all that my ways may be established to keep your statutes. The, what he's saying is the longing of my heart is to obey your word. Verses 9 through 11, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart, I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. He knew his his own heart's inclination was to wander, was to wander far from the God that he, he loved. So he said in verse 11, here's what I've done because of my wandering heart. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. Yes, I understand my natural inclination is to vacillate and wander and get my, my feet in the world, but I've treasured your, your word within me, so I might not sin against you. Then let's go to verse 18. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. I'm a stranger in the earth. Do not hide your commandments from me. My soul is crushed with longing after your ordinances at all times. You rebuke the arrogant, the cursed, who wander from your commandments. Take away reproach and contempt from me, for I observe your testimonies. Even though princes sit and talk against me, your servant meditates on your statutes. Your testimonies also are my delight. And then I love this last phrase, they are my counselors. Verse 33. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I shall observe it to the end. Give me understanding that I may observe your law and keep it with all of my heart. See, that's the man's plea. 
Make me to walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to dishonest gain. Turn away my eyes from looking at vanity and revive me in your ways. Establish your word to your servants as that which produces reverence for you. Turn away my reproach, which I dread, for your ordinances are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. Revive me through your righteousness. Now, don't turn from here yet, but you get the the picture of a man who loved God, loved his word, and the greatest longing of of his heart, the delight of his soul, was to be absorbed with God's truth. Yet, notice how this psalm ends, and it's quite a few verses removed. Psalm 1. Psalm 119, verses, verse 176. It's the longest chapter in all the Bible, and it's dedicated to the Word of God, which ought to tell us the priority of Scripture in our lives. But notice verse 176. Having said all that he has said about the longing of his heart, the great desire to be absorbed with God's Word, he closes the psalm saying, I've gone astray. I've gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servants, for I do not forget your commandments. What an interesting way to, to end. What he's saying is, even though I I long to perfectly obey, sin often has overruled my heart. Sin often has overruled my heart. I long to obey your word. Folks, that's the mark of a pure heart. If that's your experience, and it is the experience of all citizens of the kingdom, all believers, this vacillating between longing to have pure devotion to Christ and struggling with our own sin. And the question is, what can we do about this to to bring about a deeper and more focused commitment to Jesus Christ? I'm going to give you four biblical steps that, that if you implement, you will find yourself nurturing a spiritually maturing heart. This is what we need to do. This is how we nurture spiritual purity in our lives. First of all, First of all, and let me say even before this, this is something that you and I need to do. This is not something God is going to do for us. This takes human responsibility. Too often people approach their their problems or lack of maturity and they just say, well, I'll, I'll pray about it. And my response if I'm counseling to them is to say, all right, after you pray about it, what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to pray about it. Well, what is that going to do? You're going to see this is going to take some human effort as God gives strength. But these are the things that, that the Bible tells us to do. God is not going to do this for us. You don't want to have a passivity, an attitude of sanctification where we just say, well, we're going to let go and we're going to let God do it. Then you're not going to grow much spiritually. And you're not going to have the kind of pure devotion to Christ that Scripture calls us to have because God has specifically said, I'm giving you the commands. It's not commands from me. It's commands for you. I'll give you the strength, but you do it. So what do we need to do? First of all, it does begin with prayer. It's important to begin to ask the Lord to to honestly examine your heart so that he can show you anything that has crept into your life that may be drawing you away from full devotion to Christ. Now, for some of us, we don't even need to pray about that. You already know it. But for others, you say, well, why am I not as close to the Lord as I I should be and, and could be, it's because something has come into your life that's drawing you away from full devotion. It could be a number of things. It could be a poor attitude. It could be an unforgiving spirit. It could be an in, inappropriate relationship. It could be just an outright moral issue that you're very much aware of and you don't even need to pray about it. It could be busyness, your schedule, poor priorities. You're just too busy for the Lord. It could be something that is demanding your attention and allegiance more than the Lord, that in and and of itself it's not bad, but it's just taking an inordinate amount of time in your life. It could be money, could be career, 
could be an outside interest. Listen to what David said in Psalm 26, verse 2. Examine me, O Lord, and try me. Test my mind and my heart. That's what we need to do. Lord, examine me. You already know what's in my heart. Make it clear to me, and God will make it clear to you. Now, that may be a very painful heart examination. That may be very, very painful, but it's necessary if you're going to purify your heart. So that's the first step. Ask God, if you don't already know, what is it that's drawing you away from full devotion? It may be something that that is not even that obvious to you, but something could be there. Secondly, once you know what has crept into your heart, once you know what it is that's keeping you from full devotion to Christ, then you need to repent of it. And by repentance, we don't just mean say, Lord, I'm sorry, and then move on and continue to do that. We mean you take specific steps in addressing this distraction, and you must get it out of your life before you can draw close to the Lord, before you can draw close to the Lord. And I want you to see this in James chapter 4. Those of you who have studied James probably are thinking, um, when is he going to get to this part? Because this is so much like what Jesus said, James chapter 4. And then again, maybe you're not thinking that. James 4, verse 4 says this, You adulteresses, meaning those who are fooling around with the world, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You can't fully embrace the world and say, but I'm a friend of God. It's just not possible. It's just not possible. So what do you do? If you find yourself one step in the, in the world, one step in his kingdom, what do you do? Verse 8, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Well, how do you draw near to God? He tells us, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. You notice he says double-minded, meaning whatever it is that's causing you to vacillate and be double-minded in, in your devotion to Christ so that you're not single-minded, get it out of your life, purify it, confess it, repent of it, remove it. Is it painful? It probably is going to be painful. Called radical spiritual surgery. Jesus is going to speak about that later in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, if your right hand offends you, cut it off. It didn't mean literally. It just means cut out whatever in your life you're doing that's keeping you from full devotion to Christ. So the first step is ask the Lord to examine your heart so that you know what needs to be removed. The second step is remove it. Repent of those things drawing you away from a single-minded devotion to Christ. The third step is fill yourself with God's word. Fill yourself with God's word. Psalm 119, verse 11, which we already saw, but it says this, your word have I treasured, treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. God's word is not something we, we, we just clinically look at. We treasure it. It surpasses all else. Once we, we stay in the word of God and the word of God stays in us and it has supreme value in our lives, then your hearts are going to be warm and tender towards Jesus Christ. You'll never have full devotion to him unless you have full devotion to his word. And you must make time in your life for the word of God to dwell in you richly. That requires discipline. That requires effort. It requires that you have a time to read, to study, to meditate on scripture. And we're not talking about, well, I can't go to work then. I got eight hours to do this. No, we're talking about 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes in the morning, perhaps, where you're spending time, maybe it doesn't work in the morning for you, any time during the day where it's devoted to God's word. 
And then throughout the day, in the spare moments that you have, you think on, on his word. If you have to, put, put a scripture down on a little card. Carry it with you. Put it in your car. Don't try to read while you're driving. But, but carry it with you. Be like the, the Greek students in Bible college or seminary who always have Greek cards with them, cards with Greek words on it. You, you want to be like that. And the fourth step is to think beyond the, your circumstances of life and beyond the problems and get your mind focused on eternity. You know why? Let's look at the uh, verse that we, verses we looked at earlier. First John chapter three, verses two and three say this, beloved, now we are children of God and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. What John is saying is we know we're the children of God now in the future. We don't know exactly, precisely what it's going to be like, but we do know a little bit. And he tells us, we know that when he appears, that is when Christ comes back, we will be like him, meaning in terms of character, the conformity to his image will have fully taken place. We will be like him because we will see him just as he is. We're going to see him in all of his glory. And verse three says, now, here's what, we, what we're going to do. In the meantime, everyone who has this hope, this confidence in being like Christ and him coming back for us, everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he, meaning Christ is pure, which means this, in light of the great truth that in the future, we're going to be fully conformed to the image of Christ and our character and behavior. That ought to drive us today to be pure in our devotion to him right now. Knowing that someday you're going to be perfectly like him ought to drive you to be like him now. That's the great truth. So so we don't focus on what we are today with all of our sin. We're realistic about that. We deal with it. But that's not our focal point. Our focal point is what we will be someday with Christ. Perfect. So that drives us today to be growing in grace and knowledge and devotion to him. Now, so far, we've seen two words that help us to understand and open up this beatitude. Number one is heart. That's the inner being, the hidden man, the core of who we are. The second word is pure, which means to be cleansed in the sense of now having pure devotion to him. There is a third word that helps us to understand the sixth beatitude, and that is the word see. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, the thought here in each of the Beatitudes is that the word they is emphatic, meaning this, that they and they alone will see God. Only believers will see God. Only the pure in heart will see him. One of the great results of being and blessings of being a citizen of the kingdom is that we of all people, no one else on the planet, we of all people are privileged to see him. So in what sense do we see God? Well, I think there's two senses. Number one, there's a sense in which someday in the future, we will see Jesus Christ. We will see him. The verse that we just looked at, 1 John 3, we're going to see him as he is. Revelation 22, 4 says they will see his face, probably meaning the face of the lamb. In all of his glory and splendor, we will be in the presence of God. If there's a sense in which we see God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, then it's, it's in a sense that we don't understand and comprehend now. Because God is so magnificent, so transcendent that we can't, we can't fully comprehend that, if that is indeed what this is talking about. However, there is another sense in which citizens of the kingdom are privileged to see the Lord 
right now. Right now. I'm not talking about any kind of mystical vision. But we see him in a way that no one else sees him. Because all unbelievers are blind to spiritual truth. You think back in your life. When, before you came to know Christ, someone would mention something about the Bible to you and you'd be blind to it. No matter how bright you are intellectually, you'd be blind to it. It didn't make any sense to you. But once we've come to Christ, the blindness is removed and we have the capacity now to see God with the eyes of faith. And what do we see? And where do we see him? Number one, we see him on the pages of scripture. We see him on the pages of scripture. Before you were a believer, if you read the Bible, it was purely in an academic sense. Purely in a sense of facts and figures. Purely in a, in a sense of maybe historical. But now you read the Bible and you can comprehend and see God in the pages of Scripture. The Bible is the living word of God and you see the God who is living on the pages of Scripture. This is his word breathed out. We see God on the pages of the Bible. Also, we above all people see God in creation. We see God in nature. Others may only see God in the disasters of life. But we see God in creation. And we do, as that, as that song said, we say, sing how great thou art. Recently, I was in the, uh, the Rockies. And uh, from where we stayed, you look out and you see the snow-capped mountains of the Rockies. And uh, indeed, you see God's handiwork. As Psalm 19 speaks of, we see God in creation. We see God in the storms of life. We see God even in tsunamis. We see God in the power of the ocean waves. We see God in the clouds. We see God in everything. We see in the fact that that he sends the rain and, and the sun, both on the good and on the evil. We see God in creation, a fallen creation because of us. But nonetheless, we see God's marvelous handiwork. We see God's hand in history. We see God's hand in current events. We don't, we don't see life. We don't look at life as, as random things crashing together. And we hope they can figure out the peace process and, and figure out diplomatic means and all that. We see God's hand in this. History to us is his story. We see the Lord moving sovereignly and bringing others to faith in Christ. We see God doing that. Nobody manipulated them. Nobody forced them to come to faith in Christ. That's how did dead people repent? How did dead people do anything? Spiritually dead people. It's the marvelous grace of God. We see God's hand in that. Every time you hear of someone coming to, to faith in Christ, you see God working in their lives. We also see God in the very ordinary, mundane incidents of life. All of life circumstances, all of it, the good and, and the bad. We see God's hand. That's known as providence. Providence, that God rules in the affairs of men, and he rules through mundane, ordinary events. If you want to know more about that, read the book of Esther. The king couldn't sleep, and it led to saving the whole Jewish empire. And we see God in the trials of life, don't we? We see God in our trials and in the heartaches of life and the disappointments. And it's this ability to see God in our trials that enables us, beloved, to persevere. If we didn't see God, we could not persevere. We don't believe that God just saved us and then, and then abandoned us. We see him in everything, even the difficulties of life. And that's how we persevere. Hebrews 11.27 says this of Moses. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. It says that, that by faith in God, Moses left Egypt. He didn't fear the wrath of the king. Why? 
For it says he endured as seeing him who is unseen. By the eyes of faith, Moses saw another king far greater than an earthly king. He saw the Lord God. Folks, that's the way citizens of the kingdom live. That's what life is to us. We see God in in everything. No accidents, no random things happening, no such thing as good luck, bad luck, in the right place at the wrong time, in the wrong place at the right time. None of that stuff. None of that. We see God even through the darkest clouds, and we persevere by keeping our eyes on him. Nothing happens in your life or my life that has not been decreed by God. The issue is how do we respond? How do we respond to that? And we need to respond with pure, undivided allegiance to Jesus Christ. The events are going to come. God sends them. We need to have undivided devotion to Christ, and that means a pure heart. And let me give you a a, a key here. If you haven't heard anything else, hear this. The purer your heart is in undivided devotion to the Lord, the clearer you will see him in life. If things look kind of fuzzy to you now, that you can't quite get a handle on how how is God working in your life, it's because of your lack of devotion to him, even if you're a believer. The closer you get to the Lord, the clearer you will see his hand in your life. And if you never see him and you feel God is just, you know, always removed from you, he seems aloof, he seems distant, which is exactly how I felt before coming to know the Lord when I was 18 years old. I, could, I didn't have a clue as to how God fit in my life. I believed he existed, but that was it. He was up there, I was here, never the two shall meet. The reason being is because I didn't have a cleansed heart. It's because my sins had separated me from God. That's why there's no closeness. That's why there's no relationship. The way to bridge the gap between God, who is magnificent, and we who are sinners is only through the cross of Christ. Jesus Christ died for sinners. If you know you're a sinner, understand that Christ paid the full penalty of our sins. He died on the cross as punishment for sinners. And if you know that, you know you're a sinner, you know God is holy, you know that Christ died for sinners, then you need to trust him as your savior. You need to come to him for the forgiveness of sins, banking your whole eternal destiny on the great truth that he died in your place. And with that attitude of trust comes a commitment to following him. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and they what? They follow me. Let's bow for prayer. I wonder what God has said to you this morning concerning what what is it that you need to, if you're a citizen of the kingdom, what do you need to eliminate from your life to draw you closer to him? Any, Any issue, any attitude, any specific sin that you need to deal with, then deal with it. Deal with it. Deal with it. Make sure you repent. Take steps to eliminate things. Don't don't leave here with that up in the air because your heart can become hardened to the truth. And and in the busyness of life and the cares of this world, you'll get sucked back into that, that vacillating experience which you're going through now. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you don't have a pure heart, you've never had a pure heart, you have no delight to do his will, it, it's drudgery to you, not delight, 
you don't want to. You're only here because maybe you're, you're married to someone who forces you to come or you're a child of someone whose parents make you come and you need to come to him and not deceive yourself thinking you're a believer. You need to repent and trust Christ as, as the sin bearer. Well, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these just brief words that are so rich, as we said earlier, so profound, such genius coming from from Jesus. And well, we would expect that because he is indeed God. Lord, I pray you'll use your word to work in our lives, to bring us into the closest of relationships with you. And for those who, who don't know you, who have never had cleansed hearts, May your word be used to, uh, to bring them life and bring them full salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Steve. Now, we need to wrap up quickly because our time is nearly gone. I'm glad you could be with us today for Verse by Verse and our continuing series of studies on the character of true disciples. Pastor Steve Kreloff is teaching from Matthew chapter 5 a passage we usually call the Beatitudes. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. These radio adaptations of his pulpit messages are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. Our web address is versebyverseradio.org. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.